Father, that is true. That is 100% true. And for endless days, we will sing your praise. All those who have repented of their sin and trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that is 100% true and a taste of what eternity will be. Oh, Lord, come. Come for your church. Come redeem your bride. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have in you that no matter the sorrow, no matter the trial, no matter the darkness, no matter the temptation, this we know, that we will see the victory come. That's the glimpse of the victory that is to come. When there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more division, there will be no more conflict. Christ, all and in all. Amen. And we will worship you forever. We just take a moment to pause and to think on that truth right now. I pray we'd be humbled in that truth right now. God, that our hearts would be stirred to hear from the living God that we will one day face to face, bow down in worship, wants to speak to us this morning. So Lord, use today to prepare us for that day. I pray we'd come with eagerness and humility, not prideful hearts that hear the word. And as Jesus says, we don't just want to be people who look in a mirror and then walk away and forget what you look like, but Lord, who humble themselves eagerly, willingly say, Lord, speak to me, convict me. Where am I not glorifying you in my life? And God, we would do business with the King of Kings here this morning. Edify, sanctify, strengthen, refresh, equip, build your church for your glory. Unify your church for your glory. Father, give us a God-given, fanned into flame urgency to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. May it be so, Lord. Guard my mouth from error. Say what you want to say and have your way. In the awesome and majestic name of Jesus Christ, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. In many ways, this Sunday is is a little bittersweet um, for me personally and for us as a church because we are wrapping up our series in the Beatitudes this week. And it has been a tremendous series where, again, uh, much heart surgery done over the last six weeks, and I pray even more so today. And I pray your hearts are stirred with a greater affection and passion for Jesus Christ. The name of this series has been the character, the theme, the character of true faith. The character of true faith. And we finish off the series with this message today, a life of influence, living a life of influence. The text today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 12, the final two Beatitudes. And if you do not have a Bible, the ushers are going to come park themselves right here at the front for a moment, and they're going to hand up those Bibles. And then they're going to walk back, and everyone who's got a hand up, they're going to put one in front of. So if that's you, you need a Bible, you're going to want to follow along today. Put your hand up. The ushers are going to come and put one in your hands. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, we want to give that to you as a free gift, as our way of saying thank you, And continue, encourage you to continue to study God's word on your own. The Beatitudes, character of true faith. So reminder of this, I hope that we have a good idea of where we're headed here. We need to be on the same page and be constantly reminded. Remember, this is the the greatest message ever preached by the greatest preacher of all time. 
And so when Jesus Christ wants something said, we need to pay attention. And we have to understand with clarity on what he's talking about if we're going to be able to follow him faithfully. And so let's get this on the table one last time. One last time. If you haven't written this down, write it down now. What is a beatitude? The Latin for beatitude means this, to be blessed or happy. To be blessed or happy. These are attitudes that believers have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. These are attitudes that believers have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. Now, the focus here is this. These are, these are values of the kingdom of heaven that were embodied in the character of Christ himself and that we as Christians are called to be imitators of. Now, you notice these are not just some external actions of the hands. These are internal attitudes of the heart. Why? Because the heart is everything to God. Amen? If we got nothing else out of this series, we need to understand this. The heart is everything to God. It's the wellspring of life. Now, quick reminder, because if we try to live these things on our own strength and say, if I just do this, if I'm just humble, if I just repent all the time, if I just seek the God with my whole heart, and blah, 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 we're going to get discouraged real fast. Why? Because we're not living this way to be saved. We're not living this way to be saved, but rather, these are the character of one who is saved. Why? Because these are impossible to do on our own. They have to be lived out in the power of Christ or they will not be lived out at all. Just try it sometime. Watch what happens. The character of the one who is saved. And thus far in this series, we looked at the first six of eight. Now recall the first four of them, they express our total dependence of God. Verse three, the humility the humility, the poor in spirit. Verse 4, repentance, those who mourn over sin. Verse 5, meekness, which is gentleness or power under control. Verse 6, satisfaction in Christ. Internal attitudes are totally dependent on the Lord for all those things. And you got, don't forget this, the Beatitudes build on each other. You don't get to repentance if you're not first at humility. You don't get to satisfaction in Christ if we're not pursuing repentance before Christ. Or you don't get to purity of heart and see God, as we looked at last week, without satisfaction in God. Because our eyes are always looking for it in other places. See how they build on each other? Now, the, the next two that we just finished looking at, having a heart of mercy and a, and a heart of purity, they are how that dependency works itself out in our lives practically. Right, Single-minded, unmixed devotion to God. I love that definition of purity. And this week, we're looking at the final two Beatitudes, which really, loved ones, sum up what the previous six have been leading up to. It's all coming to this point. What is the purpose of Jesus Christ exhorting us in all six of these things? And what is he moving us towards? These two things. They focus on the impact or influence on the world that every true follower of Christ is to have. Okay? They focus on the impact or influence... That every true follower of Christ is to have on the world around them. Because here's the truth, write this down. If you are a follower of Christ, you have not been saved so you can keep it to yourself. Big idea. Big idea for today. If you are a true follower of Christ, you have not been saved for you to keep it to yourself. 
The gift of salvation is not just for you. It's to be used as a voice, as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ into the lives of another and to influence them for the glory of God. You and I have not been saved to live a life of insignificance, but of influence. We have not been saved to live a life of insignificance, but of influence. So let's get on the same page, because there's a lot of talk out there today about what having or living the life of impact or the life of influence actually means. Books, conferences, TV shows, you name that. Well, let's get God's definition here. Influence. Capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. The capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. This is a life we are called to live in Jesus Christ. So it begs the question. What does living a life of influence in Jesus Christ actually look like? And are, am I living it? What does this actually look like? And you say, why is it important? Because there's a problem. There's a problem today. Most Christians are living lives that are no different from the world around them. Instead of influencing the world for Christ by recognizing that we carry, know this loved ones, we carry the greatest message of all time and powered by the greatest power of all time. Instead of living in that recognition, we shrink back in fear, in apathy, in indifference, and in passivity. We lose heart and let the influence of the world take root in our lives and those around us. That's a problem. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. And here, Jesus gives us two life-changing truths. I love how Jesus never just slid into the end of a message. Like, he's gunning for it here. Everything's building to this point, so we're not going to slide into the end of the series. He gives us two life-changing truths we must embrace. Must embrace, loved ones. If we are to live the lives of fearless influence and impact for the kingdom of heaven, Christ calls us to and see his kingdom advanced in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Y'all ready? Get your pens ready. Here we go. But first, we're going to stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read through. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, being Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
This is the word of the Lord, loved ones. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to live a life of influence for Christ, you must first, we see here, live as an ambassador for peace through Christ. You must live as an ambassador for peace through Christ. Now, we're not just tagging on that through Christ. Remember, it's impossible to live as an ambassador for Christ without the power of Christ. All right? So we must live as an ambassador for peace through Christ. Look at verse 9, the first part. It said, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. Okay, recall, last time you're going to see this on the screen, loved ones. You haven't written it down. Write it down now. The Greek word for blessed there means makarios. Makarios. And, and a reminder, there is no one word in the English language that can describe the full meaning of this word. Awesome. The supernatural blessing of God. How do you compartmentalize that? Right? But what we do know is that it describes one who is happy or spiritually prosperous or envied. Happy, spiritually prosperous or envied. It describes the state of a believer who is in an enviable position from receiving God's provisions and favor in their relationship with him. They are in a position that others should want. That others should want to be in. They see the blessing and the favor of God. Approving how they live in righteousness. You see, loved ones, this is not describing just a temporary feeling of happiness, but a continuous state of well-being or being in a right place in one's relationship with God. A constant abiding. Not just a temporary thing. And Jesus says here that a person receives or experiences this ongoing blessing when they are a peacemaker. A peacemaker. Now, this word peacemaker is found here, only here, in the New Testament. This is why we've got to read the Bible in context, loved ones. All right? It's only found here in the New Testament, and it means this. The Greek means this. One who bravely, get that? Love that. Bravely, fearlessly, under conviction, passionately declares God's terms for peace. Peacemaker. One who bravely declares God's terms for peace. Which makes someone whole. Isn't that amazing? Makes someone whole. Longings fulfilled. Satisfaction given. The picture is of an ambassador who is a representative of a king from one country. And the ambassador represents him to another country. Love that picture. Look at Ottawa. How many ambassadors do we have living here? Some of you work for them. Right? The ambassador of a leader in this case, a king of one country as a representative to another country. And what's the purpose? To entreat for peace between the two parties. To entreat for peace between the two parties. This is one who is working towards a harmonious relationship between the two. Not to just kind of grin and bear each other, but a harmonious relationship between the two. Their role is to preserve peace where it is and to help restore it where it isn't. And the peacemaker Jesus is speaking of here is every true disciple of Christ. Remember from verse 1, he's preaching to his disciples, not just to the general public here. He's preaching to his disciples specifically because the disciples are who are called to be an ambassador. <clears throat> Those who are called to be ambassadors for Christ, I love this, think about this, and are citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. 
citizens of the kingdom of heaven on earth. If you are born again in Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. You and I are passing through. We belong to a different country. God's country, God's kingdom, his ambassadors, his citizens. And it is our mission to fearlessly proclaim the gospel that we have been entrusted with, to be an ambassador between God and man and man to man. God and man, man to man. How do we know this? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 18 to 21, you'll see it on the screen, it says this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Jesus Christ, therefore all have died. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and look at this, loved ones, gave us. Not a right, he gave us it. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, through Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, see there's that word, don't miss that word, entrusting to them the ministry of, the message of reconciliation. See, when someone says, we'll get to the rest of the verse in a sec, but when, someone, when God says entrustment, here's what he's talking about. He's not just giving it to us to do whatever we want with it. Here's the mission that I'm, your king is asking you to be a part of. We don't get to say, nah, not feeling like it. Or I'll feel like it when I get around to it. Or maybe I'll do it when I'm comfortable. Maybe I'll do it when I get this need met, then I'll start living for you. Maybe when I get a spouse, I'll start doing it then. Maybe when I have kids, I'll start doing it then. Maybe when I get the job, and then, and then my small g God is, is fulfilled for a moment there, and then I'll start living for you. He's entrusting to us. He gives it to us with the expectancy that it will be fulfilled with urgency, clarity, love, and truth. That's what it means to be entrusted with something. It's an entrustment. Therefore, we are ambassadors, love that word, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. See the urgency there? The conviction there? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Is that the mission for our lives, loved ones? We implore you, coworker. We implore you, child. We implore you, spouse. We implore you, brother or sister, be reconciled to God. Because the truth is this, loved ones, Romans 3.23, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God, right? All men are separated from God because of their sin. And a growing love for Christ in our lives leads to a growing love in our lives for others. You can't separate the two. These people, remember how I said? You say, yeah, I love Jesus, I don't love the church. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. You grow in a love for Christ. You grow in a love for his church. You grow in a love for Christ. You are continually being burdened by the mission of Christ that he has entrusted to us, that compels us to share the message of salvation in Christ with those around us. Why Why is that? Remember I said, you grow in love for Christ, you grow in your love for others. Why? Because sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with another is the most loving thing you can do. It is love that compels us to go there. 
to risk the relationship, to risk the awkwardness. Because if they respond to that, if the Lord opens their eyes and has elected them to do that, I doubt very much they're going to be upset with you when they stand before their king. It's the most loving thing we can do to declare how God sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And hey, loved ones, I want to encourage you. Those of you who may be like, I'm kind of afraid to share the gospel. I don't know if I know enough of the Bible. I don't know. Hey, 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 I just want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit has promised where God guides you, God will provide for you. He's going to provide the words for you. Like I said last week, you don't have to exegete Romans to see someone get saved. You just don't have to do that. We declare that Jesus Christ came to earth as fully God and fully man, the only son of God, the savior of the world. He lived a perfect life for 33 years and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty that you and I deserve so that in him we may become the righteousness of God and be saved from the wrath of God in our sin. He swallowed that for us, not because of anything that you've done, but because of his great love for you. I implore you, be reconciled to God. Someone here today is not saved. Look at my eyes. I implore you with everything in me to be reconciled to God today. Let's do business with him. This is called the ministry of reconciliation, facilitating peace between God and man that we have been entrusted with through the unapologetic preaching and unafraid witness of the gospel as we appeal for others to repent of sin and confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And notice this. Notice what it says here. God making his appeal through us. Notice what that says. As believers speak, it is God literally making his appeal through that person into the life of another awesome. You think your king's abandoned you? Jesus says, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. I give you the Holy Spirit who's going to give you the words to say. He is making his appeal through you and me. Humbling, but awesome. I don't know about you, but I never feel adequate to do that. Do you? But yet totally qualified. Awesome. We are not, and because of that, God making his appeal through us, we are not to declare it timidly or fearfully, but boldly, lovingly, and truthfully under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You say, how do you know that? How do you know that? Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. Let's check it out. You'll see it on the screen. And pray also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me. How many times have we prayed that? Lord, please give me the words. Please give me the words. He's faithful, loved ones. He will. That words may be given me to in opening my mouth to, here it is, boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it, there it is again, boldly as I ought to. Notice the word ought. I love the Holy Spirit right there. Ought. He says, you ought to do this. You've got the power of eternity living in you. You have the greatest power of all time that can change the hardest heart inside of you Declare it boldly is how we ought to speak. Do not let the fear of man trump the fear of the Lord in your life. The fear of God in your life eats the fear of man for breakfast every morning. Amen? You ought, you and I ought to speak it. 
He's right there, the one who spoke and the earth was created. That's the power that we have inside of us. Really? Lord, help us to believe it in faith. Greatest prayer, Lord, help our unbelief. Boldly as I ought to speak. Love how commentator R.T. France expands on this. He says, this beatitude goes beyond just having a peaceful disposition. I kind of get along with everyone. I'm cool, I'm that guy. Peaceful disposition to an active attempt, action. Active attempt to make peace. It is demonstrating the conviction that in the end, God's kingdom will prevail. Amen, do you believe that? Do you believe in the end, as you see the world around us today, as you see what's going on in the darkness seems to be increasing, do you believe in the end God's kingdom is going to prevail? Because if we do, then we live out the mandate, we live out the mission from our king with conviction. Love compels us as love compelled Christ to us. The conviction that God's word is true, loved ones, it is powerful. It will not come back empty in the life of that person. Even if they reject you, it will not come back empty, but it will achieve the purpose for which it is sent. Trust it. Know it. Be convicted by it. Ask the Lord for that. He will do it. And it is the only hope. Do we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope this world has? Do we honestly believe it? Because it will show in the conviction with which we present it. Always. Not in a fear of man, a fear of outcome, a fear of circumstance, but in a fear of God. A love for God, a respect, an honor, an awe. This is our king. Do you believe this, loved ones? Do you believe this? Does our lives, does your life and mine show a conviction that we believe that? Is true with our neighbors, with our spouses, an ambassador for peace, with our children and how we lead them in family devotions. Hey, hey, parents, I'm just gonna say this. And if you're married here, especially men, you are called to lead your family in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Parents, you are called to lead, to be an ambassador for peace, literally every day, many times into the life of your children. And if you're anything like me, you'll realize real quick after five minutes how impossible that is without Jesus Christ. We lose our temper, we get short, we, we, we get angry, we get frustrated. Give me my guy time. What you, I don't know. How about this? Get your God time and watch what happens then. Loved ones, this is the mission. This is the mandate in the church. Right now, there is a teacher teaching your kids in JK to grade one and another one in preschool proclaiming, proclaiming the excellencies of the Lord to your children who I know has been studying very diligently this week with me on it. Why? Because this is our mission. This is what we're devoted to. To sum it up clearly, I love how uh, theologian Dwight Pentecost, by the way, amazing name, Dwight Pentecost, really? Cool. But here's the cool thing, here's the cool truth about this quote. When Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers, he was not providing a special reward for just patient diplomats. He was speaking of those who are themselves at peace with God. See what happens first? If you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to have peace with God first. 
who bring a message of peace to men that they might be brought into harmony with the God from whom they've been alienated or separated. Blessed are those who announce, there's the proclamation, who announce to sinful men the fact that a savior has come. A man will never, know this loved ones, Romans 10, 14 to 17, if you want to check it. A man will never come to a knowledge of salvation without one to proclaim salvation to him. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Man will never go from alienation or separation from God to peace with God without a peacemaker. And we have been given the greatest peacemaker, Jesus Christ, who has given us all we need for life and godliness, who says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, Harvest Ottawa, I am with you always to the end of the age. All you need Preach the gospel. Use words because they're very necessary. Don't buy into that other stuff. Preach the gospel. Declare the gospel. Because words are necessary. And you say, well, why risk it? Why? Here's why. Because there's a promise. Jesus gives us a promise. Look at verse 9. Go back to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, what's the promise? For they shall be called sons of God. Now, the Greek term there for sons of God means this. Someone who shares the same nature as their father. Who shares the same nature as their father. Those who in character and life increasingly grow in resembling Christ. I love how Charles Price says this, and you'll see it on the screen. He says this. This is an inevitable and unavoidable consequence of the previous six ingredients. Remember I said the Beatitudes build on each other? In the list of Beatitudes being in place, in bringing others to peace with God, we share the ministry of the Son of God. What's the first thing Christ came to do? What's the first thing we see him do? Preach. What does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's not saying, let's go watch a movie. He says, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. This, loved ones, we grow in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ as his peacemaker. We're taking on the nature of Christ as his power continually works in us and grows in us. And we are distinct, increasingly distinct from this culture and known as sons of God. We share his nature. This is the great mark of distinction from the world. Let me ask you a question. Are you living as a peacemaker, loved ones? Who has God put around you that he's calling you to be a peacemaker towards? Are you living as a peacemaker? Are you living in faith, in living out the ministry of reconciliation you've been entrusted with? Not given to do with as you please, entrusted with. Okay, let me ask you a question. Would people recognize you increasingly as an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Ouch. Yeah, it just really hit me this week. I'm preaching to myself right now. Would they increasingly recognize you in your life, your neighbors, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Would they increasingly recognize you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? And you say, well, what does that look like? How do we live out this calling to be an ambassador of Christ? Here's four ways that came this morning. I apologize, I don't have a slide for this, but you've got to take your notes on this. Ready? Here's what it says. Four ways 
of what a peacemaker looks like, an ambassador. An ambassador has an intimate and ongoing relationship with the king. An intimate and ongoing relationship with the king. You and I cannot lead someone somewhere if we're not willing to go there ourselves. We can't lead them to a place we're not going, loved ones. Intimacy with the Father. If we're going to lead them there, we must be increasingly practicing that in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. An ambassador has an intimate and ongoing relationship with the king. And this includes ongoing humility towards and before the king. You speak, I listen. The way up is down. May you increase, this is, this is kingdom mathematics, the way up is always down. Less is more. You increase, I decrease. You become greater, I become less. Thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. An ongoing intimate relationship with the king, humility before him, time in his word, prayer, worship, corporate worship, individual worship. An ambassador always has an intimate relationship with the king. Secondly is this, four characteristics of an ambassador. An ambassador lives with conviction to the mission. They live with conviction to the mission that they have been given from the king. Single-minded, remember? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That single-minded devotion to Christ, increasingly unmixed with the world's priorities and agenda. The ambassador hears from the king and is mandated and entrusted to deliver the message. Four characteristics of an ambassador. Number one, has an ongoing intimate relationship with the king. Number two, lives with a conviction to the mission that is unwavering increasingly. Number three, you've got a conviction of the message, just follow the pattern. What happens next? You declare it with boldness. You declare the message of the king with boldness. Now what's boldness? So often people say this, you get these pictures of boldness, and it's like someone standing on a soapbox, face going red, pounding their Bible, screaming and Bible thumping people over the head. So often we think this is boldness, got to be the loudest, got to be the, you know, I never have a problem with being loud, but I've heard this. But you know, so boldness and be the loudest and be the most, you know, then you're bold. Listen, Pastor Ted, one of my best friends said this from Harvest Brampton. He said, boldness can be described in two words. Ready? Courageous clarity. So good. Courageous clarity. Nothing to do with the level of your voice courageous clarity in a fear of the Lord and not man out of a love for God and a love for that person's soul which is at stake courageous clarity are we living that in the classroom courageous clarity hey Joe what are you doing on Sunday are you oh I'm just hanging out with some friends I'll see you after lunch or I'm going to church do you want to come let me tell you about what's happened in my life. Declaring the excellencies of Christ. Courageous clarity, loved ones. Okay? Four characteristics of an ambassador. Number one, as an ongoing intimate, an ongoing relationship with the king. Not just once a week, not a couple times every day, loved ones, many times. Lives with conviction to the mission. Declares the king's message with boldness. And hey, I just want to say, God's not after perfection here, but he is after perseverance. Okay, it's like you miss a day of devotions. 
don't let condemnation creep in. Say, Lord, give me the faith to believe that this is what my soul needs today to get back at it, okay? No condemnation. Lastly is this. An ambassador doesn't stop proclaiming the message until the king removes him. The ambassador does not stop proclaiming that message until the king removes them. Hey, you want to hear something very cool? God doesn't do retirement. Right? There's not freedom 55 with God. There's freedom in eternity with God. There's freedom in Jesus Christ in the now. So if you're not dead, just saying, God's not done. Keep proclaiming. You say, well, I just work at this kind of dead-end job. Keep proclaiming. God has put you in the arena he wants you to be in to proclaim his message as his ambassador. But if I just got this position, then it'd be easier. God has put you right where he wants you. To proclaim the excellencies of him who can save lives and be an ambassador for peace. Remember, and some of you might say this, well, hey, this is too hard. This is too hard. It's too afraid. Hey, okay, okay. I understand that because I say that every week. Lord, this is too hard. I can't do this again. This is too hard. I can't go there. Remember this gospel truth. Ready to get saturated? Here it is. Write this down. God will not command from you what he's not willing to do in you. God will not command from you what he's not willing to do in you. If he's asked you to proclaim and declare the message of the king... He's going to give you the power to do that. He's going to give you the stamina. He's going to give you the words to do it. He's going to give you the peace to do it. He's going to give you the passion to do it. He's going to give you the conviction to do it. He's going to give you the understanding to do it. And he never runs out. His mercies are new every morning. Amen? 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, loved ones, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Loved ones, the fearful world we live in needs a fearless church to pursue them. And that is the mission and mandate of our king for us. So who is that person that God has on your mind right now to be a peacemaker towards? Who is it? Just write them down in there. Get some accountability for yourself. Write them on that list. Could be your kids, could be your coworkers, could be your spouse. Just write them down. Who is it? And the follow-up is, what's your next step? and pursuing them with the gospel. Here, I had a hint. This was one that was helpful for me this week. How about this? What's your next step? How about this? Courageous clarity. Want to come? Okay. These are at the back. There's some left to be able to be picked up. I encourage you on that. To live a life of influence for Christ, I must live as an ambassador for peace through Christ. And as we live as ambassadors for Christ, we will see that we must, here's our last point for today, we must live with expectation of persecution for Christ. We must live with expectation. If we're going to live out our call to be ambassadors, we must live with an expectation of persecution for Christ. Look at verse 10. Blessed are you. This is the final beatitude. Kind of throws you for a curveball, eh? Blessed are you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus gives us this last beatitude. It's no doubt a surprise for us. He says that we're blessed or in an enviable position in our relationship with God when people persecute us. People persecute you. The word persecute there, look at the picture here Jesus uses. The word persecute in the Greek means this, to hunt down. Uh Uh-oh. Careful when you say, bless you. Yeah, get hunted. (laughs) Just saying. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Persecute means to hunt down, aggressively chase, harass, or trouble. The picture is of a hunter going after prey. We don't like to talk about this, do we? We like our comfortable Christianity, loved ones. It's not the case. It's not the case. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say that we're blessed when we're persecuted for doing our own sin. We commit a sin and we get hunted down for that and there's consequences. And we're like, oh man, this is persecution. No, he's not saying that when you sin. He's not saying when you follow your own agenda. He's saying when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. What is righteousness? Doing what God wants, what God approves of. What makes... What Jesus makes very clear here is that there is a cost to engaging this world as an ambassador for Christ. There is a cost if we are to increasingly engage this world as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. It will cost us. It's not a matter of if, it's just when. Because here's the, here's the truth. To choose to follow Christ is to choose to suffer for Christ. And the room goes dead. Yep. It should. We should feel the weight of this, loved ones. To choose to follow Christ is to choose to suffer for Christ. So one thing I ask all of our baptism candidates, do you recognize the weight of what you're doing? When you publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm all in and there will be a cost, loved ones. There is blessing, but there's a cost. This is why, okay, this is why any gospel, quote unquote, that promises health and wealth, or that following says that following Jesus Christ means the promise of material prosperity, getting all of our wishes, and living comfortably, is satanic. Did I make that clear? That is satanic. That is not scriptural. That is not biblical, loved ones. It is a false gospel. And the majority of the church today, yes, even here in our own city, the majority of the church here today, and maybe even some in this room, have bought into this lie. We want the blessings of God and we often feel entitled to the blessings of God for comfortable lives and getting the marks and getting the grades and getting our desires. We want the blessings of God without the persecution for God. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. The persecution for our faith is part of the blessing of our faith. It leads to blessing. And you say, well, you're crazy. Get some hair, man. 
Listen, listen, listen. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'm not crazy according to Jesus. You want to see? Let's look at John 15, 20. Jesus says this. Remember, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will. There's the promise. They will also persecute you. Hunt down. Aggressive. Increasingly. And if you still aren't convinced, look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, indeed, Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's not talking about those who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and, and actually aren't, and they don't live like it. But if you and I are increasingly living a godly life in Christ by the power of the Spirit, you're going to be persecuted. Why? Because you're increasingly distinct. You're going to increasingly stand out, loved ones. So am I. The truth is this. Increasing pursuit of Christ will lead to increasing persecution for Christ. You will increasingly stand out and be distinct from the world around you. Let me ask you a question. And and honestly, see, this is where declaring the whole gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about how many people can we cram in with good ears, ticklish ears messages on a Sunday morning. That's not what we're about here. I pray you see that. But it does beg the question of this. Is that a cost you're willing to count and blessing you're willing to take on? Being hunted down aggressively. Being continually ostracized. Harassed. And you say, well, what what does this look like? Well, let's just just look in greater measure. Look at verse 11. Jesus outlines it for us, what this is going to look like. Here it is. Blessed are you when others revile you. Okay, you'll see on the screen here, the first way we are persecuted is through reviling. means to insult, mock, or shame you to your face. Insult you, mock you, shame you to your face. That's reviling in the workplace, in the neighborhood. Has that ever happened? Here's the other one, another one. Persecution looks like persecute there's physical abuse there's violence and we're going to see a picture of that in just a moment on global scale including here here's another one what does the text look like he says this revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely gossip slander accusation behind your back that is false for you pursuing righteousness saying you did things you didn't do saying you said things you didn't say. This is Christianity, loved ones. A part of it. And I'm not sure if you've noticed, but this level of persecution against Christians is increasing. According to Open Doors, which is a ministry that specifically reaches and focuses on persecuted Christians in the world. Worldwide, each month, 255 Christians are killed for their faith. Strictly because they're Christians. 104 Christians are abducted every month. 66 churches are attacked every month. In fact, a year ago, right on this day, massive bombing on a Palm Sunday service 
for our brothers and sisters overseas. And 160 Christians are imprisoned without trial simply because they're Christians. And here in Canada, loved ones, we're just beginning to see an intensified assault against Christianity through the laws that are being passed, including even now a Christian's organization ability to hire people. And being, and also being threatened with imprisonment to your prison terms for upholding biblical worldview and values and the authority of Scripture. Hey, can I say this, loved ones? Uh, don't take it for granted that we can come and meet here freely on a Sunday morning. Don't do it. Don't take it for granted that you can meet freely in someone's house in your small group. Or we can come here like we did on Wednesday night and call on the Lord in a prayer meeting. Let me ask you a question. Pending a work of the Lord, how long do you think that's going to last? That window's closing quickly. Do we make church a priority? Yeah. We don't just call it in, loved ones. The window's closing. Why? John MacArthur says it so perfectly. He says, religious liberty is not promised to Christians. Persecution is. The religious liberty window's closing quickly. And we can sit by and we can say, I'll get to church when I feel like it. The hockey game's going to take precedence. We can do this if you want. But how long do you think this is going to last? Pending a work from the Lord. You know, don't take it for granted. Harvest kids workers, I love you. Never take for granted that you get to pour into freely right now into the lives of the next generation because that generation's gonna take way more persecution than you or I did. You don't think that ministry's A1 priority to God in this church? They're gonna face what we're only, can't even think of right now. Pending a work of the Lord. I encourage you, if you're like, where do I get involved in a church? Get the application. Sign up, pour into the next generation, be a part of this, loved ones. This window's closing. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we start to live in the urgency and conviction that the mission we've been given by our king demands. We're not just going to get around to it when we feel like it. Come in and set up at 6.30 on a Sunday morning. Oh, it's so early. Listen, you've got a church to set up right now. How long do you think that's going to last? One theologian put it this way. He says, what's not surprising is that we're seeing increased persecution. What is surprising is that we in the West have managed to go the last 300 years without it significantly. That's what's surprising. That's an act of grace by God. What will we do with the entrustment? We don't, hey, hey, I'm not gonna say this, church. We don't need to be afraid if we are in Jesus Christ. Amen? We can look at stats and be like, <clears throat> we don't need to be afraid, but we need to be wise and live with urgency and conviction that the days where Jesus Christ is coming back quickly is upon us. Matthew 16, 24, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Every time you deny yourself and get here for 6.30 at setup, you're saying, I'm counting the cost because I recognize the urgency of the entrustment and the mission. Every time you prepare diligently to pour into the life of a kid or you sign up for service at the back, you say, I'm counting the cost and I am all in on this mission to see the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe God will stir the hearts and he will bring revival to this. Praise the Lord. But he hasn't done it yet. But he's building his church. Will we get on board with it? I love how Hudson Taylor said this. Carrying the cross means I follow in Jesus' footsteps of resurrection, brokenness, persecution, and death. There are not two Christs, an easygoing one and a suffering one. There is only one Christ. Are we willing to follow his lead? Question, how about you? This is something I've wrestled with all week, sitting under this. Is this, are you willing to follow his lead, loved ones? Are we willing as a church to follow his lead? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow him and hold fast to the conviction of our hope without wavering, knowing that he who made the promise is faithful to do what he said he will do to uphold, strengthen, and establish you? Lincoln, Ligon Duncan said it this way, it's when God's word asks us to do something that breaks our heart or tells us to go against the culture and risk suffering that we find out our true willingness to live by it. Yep. That's part of counting the cost. And this doesn't mean we go around looking for persecution. Persecute me so I can be blessed. No, don't do that. That's just silly. Right? But it does mean that if we are increasingly living out the mission of Christ, we can expect it and should be not be surprised by the persecution we encounter. But take heart, loved ones. Ready? Lastly, we close with this. There's a promise. There's a promise. Look at back at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, rejoice, Jesus expands on it. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The kingdom of heaven there in the Greek means this, the rule of Christ in one's heart now, and the promise of eternal life with him in his presence for eternity. Through salvation in Christ, we can embrace in part right now the eternal inheritance we will receive in full when we see Jesus Christ face to face. Rejoice. Romans 8.18, I love how Paul describes this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison, this is the blessing on the other side of persecution. Beyond all comparison, this is why Christ goes on to say that when we're persecuted for his name, we're not just called to suffer and quote-unquote grin and bear it, loved ones. Rather, we're called to rejoice. The word rejoice there, love the picture. Word study is a great idea in your Bible study. The word rejoice there means this, to be filled with delight, to be filled with joy. It's the picture of one being so glad they jump in celebration. Yes, I'm getting persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. There's a reward in me for heaven. In heaven, it's coming. I was counted worthy to suffer for the name. I'm growing in righteousness. Praise the Lord by his spirit in me. Be filled with delight. That's so backwards, isn't it? That's so backwards. In our culture, 
You're blessed when you have ease. You're blessed when you have comfort. You're not blessed when you... The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of man. And we are in good company with those believers who've gone before us and were persecuted for his name. In this specific context, Jesus is speaking here of the Old Testament prophets, but now you also look at the faithful men and women who've given their lives for the sake of the gospel so we could have church this Sunday morning. And you may say, is it really worth it? Is Christ's presence, is my reward in heaven really worth it? Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Oh, this, loved ones. Eyes up here. You and I will never look into the face of Christ and be disappointed. You and I will never look into the face of Christ and his open arms and be disappointed. And on that day, I guarantee you this, you will regret nothing you've lost for his sake. Nothing. Not the outcast of your family. Not the loss of your job. You will regret nothing you've lost for his sake in that moment. When you and I stand before our King, our Father, our Savior, and every promise of his will be completed, loved ones, there will never be, have been, a greater moment of victory, celebration, love, intimacy, satisfaction, joy, peace, justice, healing, and worship that we will have experienced. We will be face to face with perfection, and our joy will be complete as we cry out. Read it. Let's, let's read this. Let's go on the screen. Revelation 22. Let's go, Alexis. Put it. Let's read it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen? You long for that day, church? You long? There's the reward. Beyond all comparison, the, the question isn't, is it worth it? The question is, will you live in faith in light of that day when it will become a full reality to you? Will you live in faith? Will I? That's the question. That's a glimpse. And lastly, question of the day. Have you decided to follow Jesus Christ with no turning back? We just sang it. Is that your decision? I have decided. Careful. There is no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Have you decided? And if you're like, if you're like here and you're, you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the first decision you make is to receive him as your Lord and Savior. To know that even as this world gets darker, your hope doesn't dim one bit. You're going to be saved by the blood of the Lamb today. And if you are here, let me ask you a question. You've made that decision to follow Christ. Question, is Christ enough for you? When the persecution hits, when the things you thought you wanted to have in your heart, God just takes them away or he doesn't give you them the way you think is Christ still enough for you right there and if you're like I'm, no he's not then let's ask him Lord I want you to be enough for me because you promised to be in that moment in the darkness in the fear we are not called loved ones to live lives of insignificance we are called to live lives of influence for the kingdom of heaven as ambassadors for Christ 
with the expectation of persecution for Christ, all to be lived in the power of Christ that lives in us and has overcome the world. Question, Harvest Ottawa, will you follow his lead? Will we follow his lead? No matter what he sees fit to do and to allow. Rise up, church. Rise up, church. Can you stand right now with me? Rise up. The kingdom of God has prevailed. Do you believe that? The kingdom of God has prevailed. This we know. We don't walk around in fear of man on this. What's going to happen? We walk around in victory and in confidence because he who called us is faithful. He will do it. This we know. His promise is sure. Let's read this together and then the worship team's coming up. John 16, 33. Let's go. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Believe it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth, this promise, this we know. That we will see the enemy run. This we know. We will see the victory come. And yes, the sorrow may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. Yes, the fire may rage and the floodwaters may rise. But he said, fear not, for I am with you. When those floodwaters rise, they will not overwhelm you. When that fire comes, you will not be burned. You are precious in my sight and I love you. I give men in exchange for your life. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Who can stand against the Lord? If God is for you, there is none that can stand against you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This we know. Father, I pray right now for such encouragement, such awareness of the times in which we live, the urgency of the hour, the mission we have been given. But God, with great hope and great confidence that no matter if this church gets closed down, matter if we're forced to scatter he who called us is faithful you are good you are true you watch over your children all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you nothing can happen outside your plan for us you will establish confirm and build your church and when the light advances the darkness will have to move amen amen let's sing